So, you guys ready for the word this morning? Let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your great love. Father, I thank you that uh, you have written your word to us, Father, for instruction and correction and to help us grow. And Father, I thank you this morning that our eyes would be open, our ears would be open to see and hear what you have for us. And I thank you, Father, that we are going to grow and mature as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I've entitled this message this morning, How to Grow Up. How many of you guys need to grow up in here? Anybody need to grow up? I think most of us can grow up a little bit. I didn't say grow old. I said grow up. You already, yeah, you already grew old. We just, now we need you to grow up. <laughs> Nobody, none of you guys need help growing old. You're all doing it just fine. We need you to grow up. There's a difference. Hallelujah. So um, I got a lot of stuff to go. I remember last week I said I had a lot of stuff. Don't, don't distract me. It's even more so today. I want to get through a lot today. And this morning, as we were praying, I'm in there, this, and uh, I said, God, help me to be concise so I can, I can minister your word. And I'm like, so help me be concise. And Michelle's like, yes, Lord. She says it out loud. So this morning is a test of her faith. If I go along, I mean, she, didn't, she wasn't really getting into it. Hallelujah. So today I've entitled the message, How to Grow Up, because how many know that we should be on an upward march towards maturity as Christians? Much like our children grow up into adulthood, adulthood, adulthood we must grow into spiritual maturity as Christians as well. We don't want to stay baby Christians forever. I'm going to get an amen. Maybe I should have a lot of amens on that one. We don't want to stay baby Christians forever. And the reality is, is that anything that isn't growing is dying. Do you know, do you ever heard that expression? If it's not growing, it's dying. That's the truth. That's what happened. There, there's no such thing as reaching a level and staying put. What happens is, is you get to that level and if you, if you stop pressing in and if you stop trying to get closer to God, you don't stay where you're at. You actually end up slipping backwards. And the problem is one day you wake up and you look like, and you're at the bottom of the hill again. You don't even know what happens. And the thing is, is that even though that, that, uh, even the people that surpass us are still growing in maturity. One of the things I love about Paul is Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, we, we all look up to Paul. We all want to be like Paul. We're like, man, that guy has it figured out. And even he said, I haven't got it figured out yet. He says, I'm not perfect yet. I'm still working on it. So even Paul, every single day, was working on maturing in Christ. And much like children do as they're growing up, they make mistakes. We're going to do that as Christians as well, as well you know kids man they just we, we were over at a uh candace and, and wayne's house yesterday and they have this little their little girl who i think she thinks that she should be a fish because we're in the water but she is just fearless and running and jumping and 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 it, it's crazy and we're thinking man like man this this kind of of boldness that she has it actually might be a problem if she doesn't have her her little swim her uh, uh flotation device on her vest on you know she could make a, a dire mistake one day because she's a kid she doesn't understand everything she's not mature and, and when it's safe to jump in the pool and when it's not and the same goes for us as as christians we have to learn we have to grow and it's okay to make mistakes when you're a young christian but we don't want to stay there we don't want to keep doing the same stupid stuff over and over and over again the key is growth. The key is moving forward. And today, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about is what it looks like as a Christian to grow, to move forward. How do we do it? 
Because it's all well and good for me to stand up here and say, you need to grow up and then not show you how to do it. Amen? You know, that's the thing with kids too, right? We tell them to grow up, but we have to model that for them. Many of us wonder why our kids act crazy, but that's what we've been acting like the whole time in front of them. They're just acting like us. So in 1 Corinthians 3.1.3, 3, this is what it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, and <clears throat> for you were not ready for it. Even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? I love how the Bible uses analogies that are so simple for us understand you know paul never uses uh rocket science analogies for the people that he's dealing with because they wouldn't understand it but he, he, he says something that we can all get he says look i couldn't address you as spiritual people as people of flesh as infants in christ i fed you with milk not solid food we all get that right uh, most of us if we haven't had babies we've seen babies we we understand that you can't how many of you can't feed a baby a steak well, you can probably, you got to blend it up. It just wouldn't be a steak anymore. It'd just be gross. <laughs> but uh, they can't, babies can't eat solid food. How many of you guys know that? Listen, only three people raise their hand. Do not give your baby to anybody else in this room. This, the safe corner's over here. Everybody else is going to try to feed your baby all kinds of stuff. Don't do it. How many know the same is true for newborn Christians? New more Christians need to grow as well. They need to get the, the basics figured out. They need to get the, the basics understood. I mean, you can't start really dealing into some of the, the deep theological discussions if you haven't figured out about uh, having a new identity, about being a new creation in Christ, understanding the basics of salvation. You see, milk for the new Christian is just the gospel. That's the milk. That's the, the easy stuff, learning that you put your trust in Christ. But when you start digging in deeper, really uh, a solid food for the Christian is digging in deeper and learning how to live out a life in sanctification, being set apart for Christ, living out who God has made you, living out what salvation has accomplished inside of you. See, that's the, one of the things that young Christians struggle with is they don't know what salvation has accomplished inside of them, so they can't live it out. They, they, they get saved. They know there's something that they want, but they never learn that, that they're made brand new. They never learn that they're set free. That, that's what happened to me. I, I got saved when I was really young, but I thought it was a, a, about all the things I wasn't supposed to do. And I didn't realize that I had been saved, that I have been made brand new. I didn't realize that there was a miracle that took place inside of me. And I, I was stuck, stunted in my growth for 20 years. And I'm not exaggerating. The first time I said the, the sinner's prayer, when I, I, I didn't quite understand it, but I knew it was something I wanted. I was seven years old. And it wasn't until I was 27 years old until I finally said, you know what? I'm going to serve God. And I'm figuring this out. And, and I finally understood what salvation was about. It wasn't about me performing. It was about receiving and let God live and work through me. But I had to grow. I was choking on milk for 20 years. I don't want it to take that long for you guys. You see, babies can't eat solid food because they have to grow. And I know with my kids when they were young, we did everything for them. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but babies can't take care of going to the bathroom on their own. <laughs> you got to do it for them. 
They can't eat. You got to do it for them. They can't crawl into their bed. You have to do it for them. You can't, they can't get dressed. You have to do it for them. Babies need to be taken care of. But now, how many know I don't help my son go to the bathroom anymore? <laughs> Praise God. I don't have to feed him anymore. I still have to pay for the food, but he can take care of eating on his own. I don't have to put him in bed. I don't have to shower him. I don't have to bathe him. I don't have to do all those things. I don't have to cut up his food anymore. Because now that he's a teenager, I expect him to start doing some of that on his own. You know, when a, when a kid's little and they walk up to your arms out and they're going, no, come on in, have a seat anywhere. <laughs> they... they they come in and they're, they're, they're milk, milk, milk. As a, as a toddler, you understand that, right? Because they, they haven't learned how to ask for stuff properly and they're still figuring it out. So we give it to them. But how many of you know if your teenager comes doing the same thing, you're going to smack them upside the head? <laughs> no more saying this is okay. You say, you know what? You need to grow up. Go to the kitchen, get your own milk. And that's the same thing with Christians. At some point, you've got to stop acting like a baby and start acting like someone that's mature. In your faith, in your faith, amen? amen. And the reality is, is our actions demonstrate our level of maturity. The truth is, is that being immature isn't always bad. If someone's a young believer, we're going to have patience and we're going to have grace with them and we're going to walk with them just like you wouldn't uh, 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 spank a toddler for not understanding how to do algebra. We're going to we're going to extend some grace to to young Christians, but the expectation is that they would grow. Amen? The only problem with acting immature is if you've been a Christian a long time. If you've been a Christian a long time and you're still in the same place that you were when you started, you need to take a step back and say, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing? Why am I not growing? You see, the actions that we, we demonstrate are often a, a, an indication of our maturity level. And that's what's happening here, right? He says, look, I should be able to feed you solid food, but you're still the flesh. There's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? So he's talking about, he's speaking of their actions, how they're behaving. Now, how many know that, that you can say one thing, but sooner or later your actions are going to demonstrate what your heart's really about, what you really believe? They were behaving fleshly. They were putting the world first. They were getting offended at one. Did you know that getting offended is a sign of immaturity? Getting offended at somebody is a sign of immaturity. We have to learn how to handle that and deal with how people are acting towards us. Because here's the deal. At some point, we have to grow up. That's just how it is. Here's how Paul put it. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. That's what we need to get to, church. We need to start growing up and giving up some of the stuff when we were young. And if you're a new believer, it's, you're, you're fine where you're at. You're going to have time to grow. But if you've been a Christian for 20 years and you're still acting like the person that just got saved last week, then you need to evaluate what's going on. Amen? Ephesians 4.11-15 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do all the work in the ministry. That's actually not what it says. <laughs> It says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. 
for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about away by carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Do you know that apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, uh, pastors are actually there to help you grow? They're not there to do everything? The, the, the uh, uh, helping other people be discipled is not just the role of the pastor? Helping to uh, uh, plant churches isn't, isn't all just about me. Some of you guys are going to grow into that role, stepping out into an, an apostolic anointing and starting something new. You know that being an evangelist is not just the job of Joseph and I, but every single one of us should be sharing with other people. We're here to help train you to step out and do the work of the ministry. Not to do everything ourselves. And that's so common in so many churches across America is that the people that are sitting in the chairs don't want to do anything. They figure the people up front will get it all done. That's probably why we're still here and we're not all in heaven right now. Because some people didn't get up and do the stuff that they were supposed to do because they never grew up. Our goal is to become a, a mature man or woman, and that's to have Jesus Christ. The, the, the measure of that, to understand, is having Jesus Christ as your plumb line. If you look like Christ, you're mature. If you look like anything else, to varying degrees, that's the varying degree of your maturity. The more you look like Him, the more mature that you are. And a sign of maturity is growing up in all areas. It's where to grow up in every way. Did you know you're not supposed to grow up in only some ways and we can, we can just forget about the others? That's actually a problem in the church right now too is people treat the church like it's, it's a progressive insurance where they can pick out the bits and pieces that they want and leave the rest on the shelf. That's actually not what we should look like. We've got to deal with the hard stuff as well as the easy stuff. We can't say that, oh, I'm in, in Christ is my strength and Him I can do everything. But that part about giving, yeah, I'm, I don't want, that, was, that was for another people another time. You know, we, we, we talk about uh, uh, freedom in Christ. You know, the mature Christian realizes that freedom in Christ means that we're free to not do the things we used to do. But an immature Christian thinks, oh, grace and freedom is all about being free to do whatever I want. God still loves me. I thank God that God still loves you, but he saved you to be free, not to be wrapped up in the old stuff that you were doing. To pick an to pick some things to grow in and ignore others is actually a sign of immaturity. It's like selective hearing. Anybody ever have a, have a kid or wives? You ever have a husband that only hears? No, you put your hand down. That's get behind me. She's trying to. She's trying to. <laughs> and then she threw a mint at me. I don't know what's going on. Hallelujah. I don't even know where I told you not to distract me. We got a lot of stuff to get going through. Oh, selective hearing. So the problem is, is sometimes, is sometimes our kids or our spouse, they just hear what they want to hear. They kind of ignore other stuff. Has anybody ever thought, man, my kid is so mature, so responsible when they only do what they want to do and they don't hear the stuff that I tell them. Anybody ever thought that? Like you're like, go clean your room and they ignore you and you're like, man, I've never seen a kid more mature <laughs> to ignore me like that. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah, God doesn't feel that way either. He's not thinking how mature you are when you pick and choose which things you want to do that He said to do. 
we're not uh, playing the progressive Christianity method of growth. We need to grow in every way, amen? So how do we grow then? That's the question. Pastor Wayne, you said you were going to show me how to grow. Well, I'm trying. Simmer down just a little bit. Give me some time. First thing we have to do is we have to understand who we are in Christ if we want to grow. 1 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. That's a bold statement for someone to make. Can any of you guys stand there and say, I'm not aware of anything against me? If you're born again, you should be able to do that. Not because you've never failed, but because every single one of your failures are taken care of. That's why Paul's saying that I have a, a, a clean conscience. We have to understand who we are in Christ. You have to understand that when you are born again, every failure, every mistake, both past and present, is taken care of. You no longer beholden to those mistakes you made in your life. You no longer beholden to the sin that tried to grab hold of you. You are completely free. So you can stand with a clean conscience. It's not that you've never failed. It's that every failure has been taken care of. Every single one has been wrapped up in what Christ did. And, and we know that Paul was obviously not without faults. Paul made mistakes. How do, you, how do I know that? Yeah, because he's just like you and me. There's no difference between Paul and anybody else in this room. Well, he's a lot older than you. But other than that, there's no difference. And if you make mistakes, so did he. But he could stand up there and say that. I'm not aware of anything against myself because he knew who he was in Christ. You want to know how I know he's not saying that he never messed up? Because he says it's not his, his, his not being aware, his clean conscience or not aware of anything against himself that it acquits him. It's the Lord who judges him. Because when the Lord looks at him, he sees Jesus. That's the whole purpose of Christ taking our place. When God looks down at you, he doesn't see your failures. He sees Jesus. He sees his success. And you can stand in boldness and in, with, with great confidence that you are clean, that you're forgiven. You can have a clean conscience. And that's the first step in growing is understanding who you are. Understanding that you've been made brand new, that you are forgiven, that you're free. If you want to start growing, you have to start understanding what salvation actually accomplished inside of you. Next, we need to realize that we don't have it all figured out. In 1 Corinthians 3.18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. If you don't think you need wisdom, let me in on a little secret. Let you in on a little secret. You do need wisdom. We don't have it all figured out. We don't have all the answers. You see, all too often our egos get in our way. We think that we know it all. We think that we have it all figured out. We think that, that what do I need God for? This, is, this obviously is, is easy to, to solve, to deal with. It's just, I don't understand. And we think that we have it all figured out, so we put God on a shelf and our ego gets in our way because we think we know it all. But Paul says, if you think you're a wise, become foolish. If you think you're a wise, Become a fool. Does that mean he's, that you should start acting stupid and crazy? Is that what he's saying? No, he's saying that if you think that you are, are wise according to the world standard, you need to start thinking that you're foolish according to the world standard so that you can be wise according to God's standard. So what does that mean? What is that, how does that look like today? 
Well, the world today says that, that uh, uh, Jesus is a myth, that he didn't rise from the dead. Matter of fact, that the, and the Bible has said this, the Bible says that the, the world thinks that the cross is foolishness. But to start putting your trust in him, now you're looking like a fool to the world, but you're wise in his eyes. You put your trust in him, and they think, why would you put your trust in a fairy tale? And you're like, it's not a fairy tale. Let me let's show you a part of my life. That's why the testimonies last night are so amazing to share, because when the world thinks that you're a fool, you can say, well, how am I a fool? Look what happened. How do you know that was God? I was there. I know what happened. So to the world, we look like fools, but we're actually showing wisdom when we put our trust and rest in him. You know, we, we, we all know that uh, there's nothing more annoying than someone who thinks they know everything, particularly teenagers. <laughs> oh, man, you guys should have known me when I was a teenager. I was so smart. I knew everything. I, I wish I would have done all the stuff that I needed to do then because I'd have been set right now. Uh, because I knew everything. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could have solved world hunger and nuclear power. We wouldn't have any of these issues today. We'd have had world peace. Couldn't be bothered. I mean, I knew it all. I just couldn't be bothered to act on it. But ki kids, they, they, they seem to think they know everything. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And there's nothing more that'll drive you crazy more than that. But you know what else is, is super annoying too? Adults that have given up, they understand that they, they, they don't know everything, so they just give up on everything. They don't even try finding out anything new. They just stuck where they're at. There's no more, uh, they don't try to grow at all. They just, they're fine where they're at. They become stagnant and stale. So on one hand, you have people that know everything, and on the other hand, you have people that think they know nothing, and either way, you're not growing. Start asking God for wisdom. Don't be, don't be so wise that you don't ask God for wisdom and help. And don't be, don't be so uh, given up on life that you don't ask for God for help to grow either. We need to start growing. We need to, to, to become a fool according to the word, put our trust in God in every single area of our life. That would be a good step to growth. And I love the, the Bible says that if we ask for wisdom, that he gives generously without reproach. That means not only does he give generously, he doesn't think you're an idiot for asking. That's basically the New Wayne translation is that's what it says. He's not mad at you for asking. We also need to, to as we grow, control our, our conduct. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Children, mature Christians behave in a manner that honors God and doesn't drag his name through the mud. When we soil our testimony, it actually has an impact on those around us. People often see our failure as God's failure. And the thing is, there's nothing you can do about that. That's the way people view it. You can't say, oh no, God, God's perfect and I just messed up because the problem is, is that so many people, particularly non-Christians, see any failure by a Christian as a failure of God. That's why when a famous, those famous TV evangelists that have messed up and they've gotten caught in places they shouldn't be with people they shouldn't be with, it completely destroys so many people's view of God, even though God had nothing to do with it. It was the antithesis of God, what they were doing. They were stepping away, but people attribute that to God. And they say, why would I want to be like that? You say you're a Christian, but you're doing this, this, and this. I mean, I've got non-Christian friends who are better people than you are. Why would I want to be a Christian if this is what they're like? 
our actions, how we behave, our conduct actually influences what other people think of God. And sometimes acting in a worthy manner is admitting your mistakes and apologizing. You know, when I, I first met John, and I think I've asked him to share this story before, so I'm sure he'll be okay with it, but when he first started going to the churches, when we still had the church in the house, um, uh, he was working, and uh, he was just getting back into church. You know, he was really wanting to make, take things serious, and then his boss asked him to work on a Sunday. And uh, that's just something that he was always willing to do, wanted to be a good worker, so he said yes. And then he realized, oh, what did I do? he wanted to come to church and when he came and and talked to me about it, he says what do i do i know i need to be at church what do i do and i said well you've already said that you would be there you've given your word so now i mean you have to work you said you would be there but you can also explain to them that hey you know my things have changed i need to have sundays off i'm going to do this because i said that i would do it but in the future i need to have sundays off see an act of maturity particularly when we're dealing with the other world is admit your mistakes when you mess up but keep your word. Because if you're unfaithful, if, if you said, you know what, I'll do that, and then if he wouldn't have done it, especially because he said he had to go to church, oh, those Christians can't keep their word. They're hypocritical. They don't want to do all those things. You know, one of the things that, that I'm always conscious of is, is, is making sure that when I act in a way that's, that's unchristian or ungodlike, that I apologize to the people around me. It actually throws people off because... Um, I, I slip up. I, I, I do stuff that I want. I remember uh, I told the story. Many of you have heard it before, but some of you have not. I was in a Circle K ordering coffee and I spilled it on my hand. And uh, the four little words slipped out because it hurt. And I, I didn't even know what happened. I, I, like I shocked myself. I, I haven't even thought words like this in so long. Where did that come from? And so to the, all my, got my coworkers around me, I apologized. I said, hey, man, I'm sorry, guys. I, didn't, I don't know what happened. I didn't mean to say that. I just want to say, most of them are like, I didn't even realize you said it. It's so normal for them. They didn't even notice they said it. But you know what? It made an impact that I said, I shouldn't have done this. I apologize. That makes, it, control your actions. But if you do mistake, have, make a mistake, go ahead and apologize to the people around you. Don't mess up your testimony. Don't drag God's name to the mud. But go ahead and, and, and be mature about it. Amen? In 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3, it says, Working together with him when we appeal for you not to receive the grace of we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time, favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found in our ministry. The next thing we need to do is live our life in such a way that we're not going to give cause for offense. You know, when he talks about here, he says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do you know what receiving the grace of God in vain is? Is receiving God's grace and not having have any impact on your life. Coming up and, and, and saying that, Lord, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord, and then treating him like you don't even know him. Don't have, let it have any impact in your life to receive it with no purpose to keep on living how you did before after you've said yes to Jesus. And the truth is, as Christians, we should even not only not do evil, but abstain from all the, even the appearance of evil. This is what 1 Thessalonians 5.22 in the King James Version says, abstain from all appearance of evil. 
You know, there's a, there's a reason that I'm very cognitive of the way I, I, I behave and how I live my life because there are, there are many things that I have freedom to do, but I don't because if somebody were to see it, they could, they could think the wrong thing. You know, uh, one of the things that Mike Pence gets uh, trashed for all the time is that he won't, he won't meet with another woman without his wife present. He won't, he, won't do, he won't go to lunch with them. He won't do it. And he's very strict on that. You know, and they, 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 they rag on him so much. And it's like, well, you know who hasn't had a Me Too moment? Mike Pence. But I take that very seriously as well. I don't meet with women alone. I don't, uh, Monique can tell you, when we used to have music practice, which her and I on the worship team, if Michelle couldn't be there, then I would cancel it. She couldn't come over because, not because I don't trust her, not because I don't trust myself, but I don't want the neighbor down the street going, Hey, who's that girl going into his house? I want to abstain from even the appearance of evil. I don't want to give the devil any opportunity to take a foothold for something, particularly if it's not there. Because the effectiveness of my ministry and my testimony to others is limited by how they see me. How many of you know that if people think that you're untrustworthy, you're going to have a hard time ministering to them? If, if, if they see a life that looks nothing like a Christian life, but you tell them, oh man, God is so good, he's moving in my life, they're going to be like, are you sure? Because I've seen your life and it doesn't look all that different. It makes a difference because we represent Jesus when we do anything. That's what he says. We put no obstacle in anyone's way that so no fault may be found in our ministry. That is so important in how you live your life. You know, that's one of the things that Pastor Jack Harrison and Kurdistan of Iraq and the work he's done in Egypt, the reason why he's having such a great success is he's putting his money where his mouth is. When they first went out there, it wasn't that they didn't go out there just banging on people's doors uh, trying to preach the gospel. They went out there and they built houses. They took care of widows. They made sure people were fed. And that opened up an opportunity because people saw their lives. And they saw that, that particularly for the Muslims, they had always been taught their entire life that Christians were evil and awful and, and they should be killed. And now they're coming there taking care of them feeding them building them houses coming alongside of them and it changed their mindset and allowed an opportunity for him to minister we want it like i said we need to make sure that we don't do anything to influence our ministry by the way that we act we also have to be wise in our freedoms kind of piggybacks off of that one first corinthians 6 12 all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but i will not be dominated by anything how many know that in christ you're free how many of you live like that? See, that's the problem that we have is we have an intellectual understanding, but we haven't got a revelation in our heart, and there are so many things that still dominate us. Because the reality is, is that freedom comes with responsibility. Freedom is not licentiousness. It's not, it's not the, the license to sin. Because we have grace and we're free doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want. It means that we're free to not do stuff that we weren't <clears throat> able to not do before. That's the big thing. <coughs> pardon me and just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should just because it's not a sin doesn't mean that you should do it it's not good for you all the time paul specifically in these verses is dealing with sexual sin but this applies to all things that enslave us i'm oh, sorry that was another scripture that i was going to use that i didn't but uh, uh paul's actually talking about uh, uh eating meat sacrificed to idols in this one and uh, he, he's saying that, look, meat doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter who this meat came from. As soon as it goes in the belly, it's going to nourish me. It's going to be expelled. It doesn't matter about it. But I'm not, if, 
if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble, I will never eat meat again. You know, the, the reality is, is that watching TV is not necessarily a sin. But when that controls your life, that you can't do anything else, it starts to become a problem. Getting involved in sports, not necessarily a sin. You know, those people that, that uh, watch football religiously, not necessarily a sin. But when it controls every aspect of your life, it becomes an issue. If you can't come to church or you can't uh, read your Bible or you can't spend any time in prayer because you're so wrapped up in that stuff, then that, that becomes an issue. And it's not, it's, it's anything in life. And for some people, it's different. Sports, video games, TV, some people, it's music. There's all kinds of things that can wrap you up and take your focus off of Him. Amen? We also need to make sure that we're not giving an opportunity to the devil. That's Mature Christians are very cognizant of what they're doing so the devil never has an opportunity. Ephesians 4, 25-27, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Um, just a side note on that, it's in the other verse that comes up all the time is speaking the truth in love. Just so you know, that's not about pointing out everybody's faults and failures. It's about reminding them of Christ's success. Instead of saying, man, that is such an awful thing you're doing. You say, why don't you say, man, you know what? God saved you. You don't have to be enslaved to that anymore. You are so much more than that. And both of those are technically accurate, but the truth that he's talking about is when you remind people of what Christ has done, not pointing out how awful somebody is, just so you don't get confused on that. That's what he's talking about here. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. You are forgiven. You are victorious. You are righteous. You are redeemed. You are loved. That's the truth. And then he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You know that you can be angry and not sin? Jesus did it. You know, the, one of the funniest things I heard is, you know, the, the what would Jesus do, the WWJD? I heard someone say, well, apparently getting upset and flipping tables is an option. <laughs> you see, Jesus was angry at what was happening in the temple. They had turned his father's house into a robber's den. And I remember one time I was, I was reading a story about a, 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 a kid. Actually, I read stuff like this every now and then. It, just, it angers me on the inside, uh, particularly when kids are abused. I was reading a story about this uh, uh, guy who, who made a, the, his toddler. It actually wasn't even his kid. It was his stepkid. And I think they just made him, she just made him stand with his arms out or something for hours on end. Wouldn't let him put him down. The kid's crying. It ended up killing the kid eventually. And I was so angry on the inside. How many know that that wasn't a sin to be angered at that? There's a such thing as righteous anger. But we also need to not let the sun go down. You have to control that because if you let it get out of hand, it can become sin in your life. If you let it make you bitter, now you got an issue. If you let it cloud your judgment, now you have an issue. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We have to live in such a way that the devil cannot take advantage of us. And we need to be aware that he's going to try and make us fall and stumble. He's going to try and make us mess up. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 10-11. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, that we are not ignorant of his designs. 
You know, Paul is mostly talking about our interactions with people because we can get offended and we can get upset with one another and the devil has an opportunity to get lodged in the church because we let bitterness and gossip and all those things come in because we, we get upset. But we have to, to not be ignorant of those things. That's why I say that, that being offended is a sign of immaturity because that's how all this starts. If you get offended, you can let all this other crazy stuff happen in your life. But we need to interact with one another in a godly manner with love speaking the truth in love just make sure you're doing that the right way that you're actually speaking truth and you're not speaking curses and other things into people's lives and i know that these scriptures are specifically speaking with our interactions with one another but i think that this gives this advice can be taken and extrapolated to every situation where we can give the devil an opportunity in our lives. You know, the, the most obvious example that I can think of is if you're an alcoholic, how many of you know that, that you shouldn't go to a bar, even if that means to minister? There are some people that are able to go into a bar and minister and they're going to be fine, but if you used to be an alcoholic, don't give the devil an opportunity. You got a problem with gambling? Don't go to a casino. If you know you have a problem with TV, it just soaks up too much of your life, cancel the cable bill. Remove, that's why Jesus said, if your eye causes it to stumble, pluck it out. He didn't want you to, to, to disfigure yourself. He wanted you to be aware of these things that can take hold in your life and just get them away from you. Don't put yourself in a position to sin, amen? And then in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, we learn that we actually need to be mature towards others. Do, not, do nothing from self-ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Some of you guys know this is one of my favorite things to tell people. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Mature Christians love their brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for one another. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 6.18 says that we should pray with perseverance for one another. That means that we shouldn't give up. That means that it, it's not a, you know, you ever had somebody ask you if they can pray for you? Or that, 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 they would, that you would pray for them? You're like, yeah, I'll do it. And then you forget till the next time you see it. And you see, you see uh, John walking in there. It's like, oh, shoot, John, please, or Lord, please bless John. Hey, John, I've been praying for you. <laughs> now we need to do with perseverance we need to do it all the time take the moment uh, if, if you're not if you can't remember uh, write a write a journal out with everybody's name in the church divide it up by days we got 50 people in the church go ahead and divide that by seven and do seven people a day and pray for them persevere do it every day and then mature Christians treat others as more important than themselves I think if we could just get this figured out not just in the church but as a as a society then our lives would be so much better if we stopped thinking about how important we are but instead treated other people as more important then we would see so much troubles fall away and it doesn't mean that others are more important the truth is is that we're all equally valuable to god but it means we need to take care of one another it means when you look at other people if 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 I treat someone as more important than, than me and they treat me as more important than them, then we're going to work together. We're both going to encourage and lift one another up. And that's a sign of maturity. And I'm not saying to, a sign of maturity is not to stay in an abusive situation. If you, you need to do that to everybody else, and you say, well, well, Pastor Wayne, I'll start treating them as more important than me if they'll start treating me as more important than them. 
Well, the reality is, is that this has nothing to do with them. This scripture is all about you. You figure your stuff out. You act mature. You grow. And if they can't get it figured out, then just step back a little bit. Don't leave yourself in a position to be abused. But what they're doing has nothing to do with what you're doing. And in Philippians 2, 12 through 15, another sign of maturity is, is being obedient. Philippians 2, 12 through 15 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's hard for some people, but you should do it. That's a sign of maturity that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. The reality is, is that you shine as a light amongst the world no matter how you behave. Did you know that? As soon as you claim to be a Christian, you're shining for Christ and people are going to notice you. Make sure that you look like Christ and not like a devil. Because no matter how you act, they're going to attribute it to Christ. But mature Christians act obediently. One here, he's, he talked, Paul's talking about, uh, uh, you know, you guys are obedient when I'm there. Even much more so, be obedient when I'm gone. Mature Christians obey their leaders. And that doesn't just mean in the church. But it also means at your work. You need to obey your boss. If you want to look like a mature Christian... You know, it's hard to, to, to claim that you're a Christian, but you're always calling in sick and you always ignore the boss and you don't have any, any work ethic. That doesn't, that's not what Christ looks like. And we need to do it with a, a joyful heart without grumbling. See, that's the, I've asked people to do stuff and, and in many places, in my, in my own household, in the church, in my workplace, and people just get all upset. Like it's just too, oh, it drives me crazy. It's like, just do it. What is the problem? But we grumble and we complain. And then if I'm being honest, I've done the same thing myself. <laughs> I got to smack myself around sometimes and remember like, what are you whining about? It's not really that big of a deal. But instead, we, we do it joyfully. It's part of that treating others is more important than ourselves. We lift up and support one another. We support our leaders. We support our boss. Our job as employees should actually be to make our boss look good. You see, being blameless and beyond reproach is how we appear as light shining brightly for Jesus in this world. And we can't minister to a lost generation if our lives look just like theirs. And then in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, uh, a sign of maturity is learning to be content. Not this is, and I know we've we've looked at a bunch of these not too long ago when we looked through the through the book of Philippians, uh, but the reality is is that as I was, as I'm looking at this, the Philippian the letter to the Philippians was a, a great roadmap to being a mature Christian. Philippians four eleven through thirteen says, "Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound, and how to abound in every." In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through him who strengthened me. You see, mature Christians are content wherever they're at. They're not always looking for the next big thing for fulfillment in their lives. 
Man, I would, I would just, just be, I would finally be happy if I could just get that new car. I mean, if I could just get that new job, I would finally have everything I ever wanted. I would finally be happy. I used to live my life like that, always looking to the next big thing. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't believe this, but every time I achieved it, I was still looking for something else. Every time I achieved what I thought would make me happy, it turns out it was it was short lived. It's actually why so many people get involved in, in sex and drugs and, and alcohol. And all. They're looking for something. They're looking for something to fill a hole. They're looking for something to fill what's missing. And, and the thing is, is temporarily it makes you forget. Temporarily you think this isn't half bad. I'm having a great time. And then you realize it, it's, it dispenses. It goes away. There's nothing left. And it actually didn't fix anything. And you're looking for the next big thing. I can honestly say since I've become a Christian and started uh, putting my trust in Him, I have not needed anything. Don't get me wrong, there's stuff that I want. But nothing is, I, I don't have that feeling that if I just get this, I'll, I'll be happy anymore because my contentment is in Christ. And the truth is, if everything fell away, I could still be content. I could still be happy. If everything fell away and and I, I lost my job and my house and all my vehicles and I had to live in the, in the nursery. It wouldn't be ideal, but I would be content because I would still be able to serve my God, the one who loves me. And the thing is, is that I know that He'll make a way for me no matter what. The truth is, is that mature Christians are okay with where they're at. It doesn't mean we don't have ambition. It doesn't mean we don't want stuff but we realize that God has taken care of us, that he's with us. And when we're anxious, we basically say that we, we understand that we trust God to get us through everything that we're dealing with. That's what he says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean he's going to give you supernatural strength to open the pickle jar. That means he's going to give you the ability to deal with whatever situations comes your way. Because the truth is, is I don't know how people deal with a lot of circumstances without God giving them the strength. I don't know how people go through the loss of loved ones without God giving them strength. When my father passed away uh, several years ago, how I handled it and how my sister handled it were completely different. And the difference was is that God gave me the strength to go on and she was angry at God. You know, we all go through different situations, hard situations in our life, and some things that people go through are beyond what I can even comprehend. There's stuff that people have gone through that, that I can't relate to at all because it's horrendous. But God will give you the strength to make it through. And finally, a mature Christian will assess what is important. Philippians 3, 7-9, For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. A mature Christian knows what's important. You know, one of the things that I always tell people in counseling is, is having to understand their priorities. God first, your marriage second, and your kids third. And people, some people, that's hard. What do you mean my kids third? But the reality is, is that if your marriage isn't strong, your kid's life is going to be hell. 
If your marriage isn't strong, you can't be there for your kids. You can't provide what your kids need if your marriage isn't strong. And your marriage can't be strong if you don't put God first. So that's why the order is that way. You put God first, and then your marriage, because it has to be strong, and then your kids. But the key to all that, if you're not married, you don't have kids, you know you still put first God. God above everything. Paul, before he came to know the Lord, he was a respected leader in the Jewish faith. He was the top of his class. You can read other letters that he wrote that he says that basically said, look, if we're going to boast like men, I was the man. I had it all figured out. Matter of fact, I lived pretty much perfectly. He, he, he was well respected. He was high up there. Paul said, you know what? I'd give it all up. I am giving it all up for Christ. Because all of that stuff is worthless. All that stuff is trash. As Christians, we understand that. The, the nice car that we have compared to Christ, it's worthless. The job that we have compared to Christ, it's worthless. It's a means to an end. It's a tool. But the reality is, is that I would give up everything to hold on to Him. A mature Christian is willing to trade everything for Christ. A mature Christian puts Him first. So that's one of the questions we have to ask ourselves. What are we willing to give up? You know, start with the small stuff. Are you willing to give up your time? Are you willing to give up some of your finances? Are you willing to give up potential fame? Are you willing to give up potential promotion? Are you, what are you willing to give up for God? What's more important in your life? Now the good news is, in my life, in my experience, in my own life and in the lives of others, that when you'll give everything to God, He gives you all this stuff anyway. You get the good jobs. You get the nice car. I got the most beautiful wife. Because of Him. And finally, we'll end here in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The mind of a mature Christian is set on these things. A mature Christian thinks differently than an immature Christian. If you want to mature, you need to start changing your thinking. You need to start changing what you're focused on. And we all know what the right thing to do is. That's written on our heart. If you're not sure, though, feel free to ask any leader in this church. If you want to know if something's sin, the best way to do is ask a non-Christian. They'll tell you if you're allowed to do it or not. But the thing is, guys, is that if you want to mature in Christ, it's not going to happen on accident. You're going to have to make some decisions. You're going to have to make some decisions on, on what are the things that you're going to think about. You're going to have to make some decisions on, on whether I'm going to spend time in prayer and reading my Bible. You're going to make some decisions on how am I going to start treating people. It's not an accident. You won't grow. That's why so many people stay baby Christians for so long because they've never made the decision to press in, to move forward. So I would encourage you, start here. Whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, begin to think about these things. And let's make sure that we're all on a path to maturity, a path to growth, instead of saying, 
as a little infant in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and let's go and stand to our feet.